You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So we're gradually working through a system of brain teasers in the third chapter of Yuvamot. The Mishnah actually starts to get a little bit easier after this chapter, but there's just a couple more brain teasers to come. And in order to understand the first one of them, we need a verse. We need a pasuk. And it's the first half of one of the classic verses from Devarim, from Deuteronomy, about lever at marriage, about Yibum. And you remember, we all remember, that the verse begins, Ki achim when brothers dwell together. We learned that unless the brothers are living at the same time, this whole thing doesn't work. And then the verse says, Umate achad mehem, and one of them dies. Uven enlo, and he leaves no offspring. Leaves no offspring. This whole situation is triggered by a, a young man, who, or maybe an old man, but a man who dies with no offspring. Well, you know, we'll be seeing this now, um, just as as one of the the um, one of the results of the war in Gaza, we'll see these young men dying without offspring. So this whole issue of Yivamot will become very relevant in the land of Israel in coming months. And the verse is precise about the fact that one of them dies, only one. And so, and the Mishnah is going to explore a situation where a woman is possibly tied to two brothers. And the Mishnah is going to say, no, no, we, we, we're not interested in, in ties to two brothers. In order for this, to, to, for this to take effect, we need a tie to one brother. And if there's a question of a tie to two brothers, then the whole question of Yibum is just irrelevant. So let's look at the Mishnah. Three brothers married to three separate women. women. So no sisters now. Just three brothers who are all married. Clearly, we need three brothers, because if we didn't have brothers, the whole issue of Yibum wouldn't arise anyway. So we're always going to start with three brothers, or two brothers at least. Okay. So we're familiar with the pattern now. Clearly, this whole thing is going to start with one brother dying. So one brother dies. And the second brother performs ma'amar, and then he dies. And we've seen this situation before, and I've drawn it out, actually. I, I think I've got a diagram of it here. So we've got our, we're using now the, the ABC nomenclature. So Alice, Betsy, and Charlotte, they're individual women, and they're married to Alex, Bob, and Charlie. And Bob dies. So Charlie, Charlie's preparing to do Yibum with Betsy, with, the, with Bob's widow. And but rather than consummating the marriage, he agrees the rabbinic contract to perform yibum. In other words, a bit, effectively, he does a rabbinic betrothal. This can be done either with silver or with a document. And so Betsy, in this case, is, is she's in a little bit of a limbo. I mean, just like a woman who's received kiddushin but hasn't come under the chuppah. Nowadays, we do kiddushin and nisuin both under the chuppah. We don't like to separate the betrothal and the marriage. But in the time of the Mishnah, it was very common to separate the betrothal and the marriage. Perhaps the man didn't have enough money, right, to pay the ketubah. 
Um, so we we had to organize the betrothal first, and then he might get money to to get married. So in the time of the Mishnah, the betrothal and the wedding were sometimes separated. And in this case, it seems that Charlie has betrothed Betsy. He's promised to carry out Yibum on her via a deed or via silver, but he hasn't actually consummated the marriage. So Betsy is sort of connected to Charlie, but not fully connected. What happens next? Well, Charlie dies. So now Charlie's died. So there's only one brother left who can perform Yibum, and that's Alex. And Alex, theoretically, could perform Yibum both for Betsy and for Charlotte. He can perform Yibum for the two surviving widows. But, but what is the nature of his relationship with Betsy? That's the question. Is he going to perform Yibum for Betsy because she's the widow of Bob? That's one alternative. <clears throat> maybe the ma'amar, or maybe the betrothal has no significance. In that case, she's just the widow of Bob. Or maybe the betrothal does have significance. Maybe she's connect she was connected to Charlie before his death. So maybe she's the widow of Charlie. And Charlotte then is Charlie's wife, is, is Betsy's rival. And we don't know the status of the ma'amar, the status of this betrothal, what, what is reflected on the source sheet with the, with the yellow arrow, the orange arrow. The status of a ma'amar is indeterminate. We don't know what Betsy's status is. But, and of course, we can expect, if we don't know what Betsy's status is, I think we can expect the rabbis to be conservative. So let's now go back. And let's just go back to the Mishnah now. If we understand the situation, we can go back to the Mishnah. So, one of them died. Bob died. The second brother performed Ma'amar with her. That's Charlie. And then he died too. So we don't know what Betsy's status is, but the rabbis are going to be conservative. We can expect that. So they perform chalitza, but not yibum. Both women give chalitza. And the Mishnah actually quotes our verse. If one of them died, her brother, her husband's brother will perform lever at marriage. Only someone who's bound by one Yavam. Not one who's bound to two Yavamim. We don't know who Betsy's bound to. Is she bound to Alex or is she bound to Charlie? We're not certain. And the Mishnah is going to use this verse and the language Achad. One of them dies to say, look, if this woman is perhaps bound to two different brothers, the whole question of Yibum does not arise. And Rabbi Shimon is going to disagree, actually. Rabbi Shimon says he can have Yibum with whichever of these he wishes and then perform Chalitza for the others. Because, of course, if the Ma'amar um, really did work, then she is genuinely, if the mama really did work, then 
Hmm. That's a good question. I'm not quite sure. I mean, it's not quite clear to me why he has to only perform Yibum with one of them. It's not quite clear to me. But the halacha doesn't go according to Rabbi Shimon. And then the Mishnah is going to go bring us a separate example, much simpler example. So we know we passed over the over the top of the hill now. Shneach in the swim, Shneach Hayot, two brothers married to two sisters. One of them dies. Let's go and look at this in the diagram. One of them dies, and afterwards the wife of the second brother died. Look, we just got two pairs now. It's a simple diagram. Alice and Betsy. Betsy's Alice's sister. And they're married to Alex and Bob. And Bob dies first. Bob dies first. And then Alice dies. Now, when Bob dies, we know that Alex can't perform Yibum because Alex cannot marry his wife's sister. You can't marry two sisters when they're alive. But what about after his wife has died? Alice dies. So Alex is now a widower and Betsy's a widow. So the question the Mishnah wants to explore is, look, could Alex, the widower, marry Betsy, the widow? That's the question the Mishnah wants to explore. And the Mishnah rules. She's forbidden to him forever. That is, Betsy's forbidden to Alex forever. Because she was forbidden to him for one moment. We've seen this halacha before, actually, in the seventh Mishnah. There was a time, there was a time when Betsy was forbidden to Alex as his wife's sister. And the Mishnah seems to be saying, you know, once you've been forbidden, at least in the world of Yibum, this doesn't work in general, right? In general, if, you know, if you marry a sister and she dies, you can marry the other sister. But in the world of Yibum, if someone is forbidden to you for an instant, they're forbidden to you forever. She's forbidden to him forever. Because she was forbidden to him for one moment. If you're forbidden to, to someone, even for a short period, in the world of Yibum, you're always forbidden. That's essentially the, 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 um, that's the message which the Mishnah is giving. And then it closes the chapter with... Uh, uh, a, a, a scenario which seems almost comic, seems almost comic. But again, perhaps what we're doing is we're defining the limits of marriage and the seriousness of marriage and the possible ramifications of errors in marriage. So maybe there is a link to this idea of asura olamit, this idea of being permanently forbidden if one is forbidden just for a short period. And the scenario which the Mishnah paints is as follows. Two men betrothed two women. So there is a link to the previous Mishnah, right? We've got two men and two women. And they're not, they're not, but these are not going to be brothers or sisters. Two men betrothed two women. When they entered the Chuppah, 
When they entered the chuppah, they exchanged one for the other. It sounds like maybe there are two chuppahs happening on the same day or maybe next door to one another. And of course, the assumption in the time of the Mishnah, we don't do this today, the assumption in the time of the Mishnah that consummating the marriage happened around the time of the chuppah. So right now, we do yichud, we do a period of seclusion after the chuppah, after the wedding. The bride and groom go away together for 15 minutes very quietly. But that is a relic of consummating the marriage. And I think the Mishnah is assuming that right after the chuppah, the marriage is consummated. Because the Mishnah goes on to say, They're guilty of having relations with a married woman. Once someone is betrothed, she has the status of a married woman. If she goes under the chuppah, Going out of the chuppah with another man is 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 uh, is completely forbidden. She once she's betrothed, she's betrothed. There's no she needs a get. She needs a divorce document to release a betrothal. So the Mishnah says, they're guilty of having relations with a married woman. If they were brothers, they're also guilty of having relationship with a brother's wife. If they were sisters, they're guilty of having relationships with a wife's sister. It's, it's as if this Mishnah is effectively defining, defining the, you could say, the acceptable boundaries of marriage, all in one tiny incident at the end of the chapter. And we've learned already that the final Mishnah in a chapter is very often very significant. So it's as if here we're, we're defining all the, Classic issues that can go that are forbidden in marriage. Are you achin mishum eshet? If mishum eshet, ach, if they were brothers, they are guilty of having relations with a brother's wife. For im hayu achayot mishum isha shelachota. If they were sisters of having relations with a wife's sister, and then we go on to enumerate various other prohibitions. For im hayu nidot mishum nida. If they were menstruants of having relations with a menstruant, umafrishin otan shlocha chodeshim shema mubaroten. We're going to keep them apart from their husbands for three months in case they're pregnant. Just so we can clarify who the father is. If they were minors. And you know, sometimes it, it, it is theoretically possible to marry off someone as a minor, although she has the right to say no later. If they were minors incapable of bearing children. Um, they're returned at once. This must mean to their proper husbands. If they were of priestly families, they can't eat truma because um, a, a priest's daughter who's a priest's daughter who's had an illegal relationship is a halala, right? So she can't eat, she, she, she can't be married to a kohen. She can't be married to a kohen. She can't, she's not in her father's house anymore, but she can't be married to a Kohen either. So she can't eat Tron. So in a sense, we've defined in one mission at the end of the third chapter, uh, uh, we, we've made a quick survey of the essential elements of forbidden marriages. And with that, we close this section of the Mishnah and then we move on to the fourth chapter with different material um, in coming days. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.